And welcome to another exciting episode of Grim Dark Tales, the podcast edition. My name is Eric, and I am joined today by two lovely guests. Uh, I have John with us. Hello. Hey, John. And uh, I also have Rick with us. Hello. Uh, you may remember Rick from such uh, famous instances as The wow. Last Bat Rep. Wow. My favorite movie. Yeah, The Last Bat Rep is yeah. an excellent film. <laughs> Uh, Rick is going to be a regular on the channel, as he already has become in the Bat Reps, but uh, moving forward, he may join us more and more on these podcasts as well, depending on the topic and all that, and his availability. Depending on how well this goes. Depending on how little I kill you after this. Yeah. Uh, and John has uh, been a long-time friend of the channel. He's contributed some amazing... Uh, terrain and friendship to the channel and he also uh, is just a, a wonderful guy so thank you both for joining me um, you you lovely gentleman you I was really laying on thick well yeah, he wasn't as nice when the mic was on yeah uh, <laughs> they don't need to know that uh, so tonight we're gonna talk about um, another sort of abstract topic. We've covered a few sort of out-of-game topics um, that still have to do with the hobby in general. And uh, I thought this would be a really valuable one to discuss because uh, it's definitely something that I struggle with personally, and I think a lot of people do. And uh, it's sort of about like how to manage yourself within the hobby financially and how to, how best to keep control of your purchasing habits and stay organized in that regard and make good decisions and not be me personally um, mm -hmm. who makes bad decisions um, and and John actually came up with this idea and I think it's a really good one and a really helpful one for pretty much everyone in the hobby so yeah I think I think this should be an interesting topic and definitely valuable no matter who you are. Um, so, John, obviously you have methods of controlling yourself financially um, in this hobby and uh, you probably have some things that help you stay organized, I guess, in ways that maybe I've never thought of, which is maybe part of why I'm terrible at it. Uh, but what, what are some things that you do to not just gratuitously spend your own money uh, whenever <laughs> you want to, like whenever something new comes out that is exciting to you, um, how do you not just blow your entire income on on this hobby? <laughs> well, I look at my bank balance first. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, when the car um, declines. I have this yeah. money, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, pulling back a little bit yeah. from that, uh, the idea came from, I think every 40k podcast has done a show on how to get Warhammer stuff cheaper. Yeah, there's a I lot of that. just leads to you having more Warhammer stuff. Yeah. It doesn't, really, certainly... doesn't really help you afford the hobby any better. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to look at it as more like an overall picture, not just on 
financially, how to do with the hobby, but financially in general, because mm -hmm. I feel like, especially in our country, I'm not sure how it is in other countries. Yeah, yeah. We have a big issue with uh, people overspending on stuff that isn't totally necessary to living. Very true. Living outside our means. Yeah, yeah. yeah we have a big uh, consumer. It's society. almost yeah. like they don't. They don't. Uh, Prioritize that school. in school. Yeah. Like you would think one you of would the things think that would be like a core part of like high school. Yeah. <laughs> Except maybe the system wants us to yeah. do yeah. that and and uh, be stuck in this system of owing uh, in this situation. So yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, you know, trigonometry and economics are way more important than well. Yeah. I use y equals mx plus yeah. b every single way day. Way more in my important life. than like personal finance. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. But how do I balance checkbook? Absolutely. Which one's more important? Yeah. Obviously the mitochondria. Yeah. Would there be actual paper money without the mitochondria? Obviously not, because that comes from plants. Big fact right there. And they have cells. And the mitochondria, as we just went over. Literally just went over. Is the powerhouse of the cell. What's the real answer? <laughs> <laughs> so I think, uh, especially with the... Uh, People, younger people getting started in the hobby, they kind of want to get involved in every aspect of the hobby mm -hmm. and want to buy all the new things. And it's definitely much better to try to focus in on one aspect yeah. and not try to have every single army, every single new model that comes out. Yeah. But also with that, you also, it's uh, talking about like financially here, uh, you want to be able to know like what you can actually afford mm. to spend. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people don't really know what they can afford to spend yeah. and how it will affect the rest of their finances. That's definitely true. So it's true. always, uh, one thing that's really helped me is I track all my spending in real time, not just like at the end of the month, mm -hmm. like, oh shit, mm -hmm. I spent too much. Right. So I don't oh, know, it's too late. Yeah, it's already <laughs> too late. So, and you can start simple just by uh, writing down in a notebook or in a spreadsheet mm -hmm. every time you're spending on something like, oh, this was for gas, this was food. Yep. And if you do that for a few months, you'll start to get a uh, idea of like, well, this is how much I need to spend on food every month. This is how much I need to spend on rent or whatever every month. Yep. And then you'll match that up with how much income you have coming in every month, and then you'll know how much you can spend on stuff that's not essential. Yeah. So you can try to get yourself a budget for non-essential things like Warhammer. Yeah. You know, it's a great app for that is uh, Mint. Yeah, Mint is good for that. Yeah. Helps you organize your your yeah. spending. It uh, essentially does that. It like aggregates all of your. You just input your, you know, active bank accounts, and it doesn't like a breakdown of like, essentially exactly what you're talking about. Like it, there's a little bit of filtering that you kind of have to help it with at first like in terms of things that it can't like identify like it's like food or gas or you know things yeah. like that but then it just like it does a, a breakdown in the exact same way like this is how much you spend on groceries this is how much you spend on gas and you could make a category for Warhammer yeah. and then it calculates that against your average you know monthly income or whatever by the way we are not sponsored by Mint yeah. uh, however we, it is a great plan. however uh, we do support the use of it um i've used mint before um but because i'm terrible at all things money based i've <laughs> stopped using it uh but i shouldn't have and it's great and you should use it 
And um, if you ever use TurboTax, you already have an account for it. Yes, that's it's, true. It's an Intuit product. Um, so, and we're also not sponsored by TurboTax yeah. <laughs> or Intuit. Yeah. Uh, so that what you're saying though, I think is a really valuable general life lesson. And for anyone out there who is maybe like pretty young, they haven't had a lot of experience handling their own money in general. Um, a lot of people get thrust into having suddenly like a, a system of credit, like when they get to college or whatever. And that can be really dangerous if you don't have any sort of training wheels on when you begin that process and no one tells you anything. So Yeah, the way we in this country learn how to handle your finances is by failing yeah, horribly. By realizing <laughs> that you need to handle your finances because yeah. if you don't, bad things happen. Uh, that's very true. And um, I think a ton of Americans and probably other people around the world um, are in a really unfortunate position because they received basically no sense of structure and they were just given either a line of credit um, to sort of like start that process. I mean, I didn't know how the credit system worked until like I started house shopping and you know, I'm 32 years old and it was like two years ago. It's like I went through, you know, um, 15 years of, um, having a disposable income before I knew what I'm supposed to do with a disposable income or even how to know what, how much of my income is disposable. So yeah, this is super important stuff. It's, um, it's also hard to kind of learn that stuff if, if you're single and your expenses are already kind of low anyway, mm -hmm. and you're just going to start spending way too much yeah. if you're not keeping track of it all. Yeah. Definitely. And you should also also be uh, saving for other unexpected things that could happen, like yes. a car crash or some type of medical thing. Yeah. Like a little bit of a nest egg. Yeah. 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 And in this country in particular, um, the healthcare system is... Uh, just a whole animal that um, I I don't even I feel like that should just be its own podcast and has nothing to do with yeah. Warhammer. <laughs> um, but the point is, a single accident if you don't have good insurance can basically like put you in a pit of debt for the foreseeable future of your life if you don't if you're not prepared and you don't have a way to get out, you don't have a safety net. And for some people, there's really no way that that can be, but there are at least steps you can take and you can try to prepare. Um, and assuming it's like a normal problem, if you are well prepared, you should be able to deal with it relatively well and not suddenly find yourself just completely screwed. So um, have a savings. Have a savings is the long and short of that. And if you get direct deposit, you can do all that stuff. Just take a certain percentage, like 15%, yeah. and just put it into your savings account <clears throat> and don't touch it. Yeah, that's definitely true. Every pay period. 
It's too bad Jordan isn't here because Jordan <laughs> is like a saving Nazi. Yeah, yeah, fifteen percent would not be enough for him. No, it's like, like I feel like half his income goes to savings, yeah. which is crazy. I mean, obviously, whatever you can afford, but I would say at a minimum, like. Yeah, and that's another I think important thing is figuring out your income to your expenses. Like, like John was saying, it's like you know you you have to know what your cap is and how much of your money is just going towards existing in the world every month and and the better you know what you absolutely need to spend that's essential then the better you can know what you can kind of have for fun money yeah exactly and if you go over it a little bit then the next month you know well I gotta cut back on yeah. some things yep yeah just like visibility Mm -hmm. like a lot like he was saying like a lot of people don't ever people don't even like think about their bank account balance until the card gets declined it's like oh why am I oh shit I've got eight dollars in my account I'm trying to make a fifty dollar charge yeah so if you're but yeah if you're like looking at your expenditures on a daily basis and really keeping track of it it's you know yeah and I think that that's that in itself I think even people who know that they should be doing that, it can be really stressful. Um, when people are like forcing themselves to confront their own financial limitations. So I think that it's good to get used to doing that like early and often. Um, if you're like getting into the world of figuring out your own expenses is like, there's going to be a hurdle where it like is painful to like check your money all the time and it's going to feel stressful. But I think that that's like a hurdle you can overcome. And as long as you have like a rational reaction to the reality of your life, then you can then lead yourself into like making good decisions and having a routine that doesn't stress you out so much. Um, And you can prevent stress and you can look at your bank account and be like, oh, this is where I'm at. And it's not like a bad thing. It's just like it's a way for you to maintain knowledge of where you're at financially. Yeah. It shouldn't be stressing you out. It should in the long run be more of a comfort to know where you're at and what you're doing. Yeah. And it might be stressful in the beginning. Yes. Yeah. But then it's always like, it's a way of being prepared so that you're not just sort of in the way that I've been so many times in my life where it's just like, I feel like I'm out on a precipice and if I make a purchase, I don't know what's going to happen. And like, I just do it anyway because I'm reckless and stupid. But as you get older, things like that just don't fly. And as like responsibilities come into your life, like if you are a spouse to someone or if you have a child or all these things where like there's more than just you to think about. Little plastic men maybe should be lower priority. Yeah. Um, and you should figure out, like, realistically how much is even reasonable for me to be spending on this. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> to some people, nothing may be the answer. Um, but that's not the takeaway that we are suggesting. Yeah. What we're suggesting is just that the amount that you spend on it should Don't be pro- yourself. yeah, it should be proportional wow. to what to what you're making, um, and that's a lesson that's hard learned, I think, by some people, 
especially because like we said, there's no system in place to like teach you that growing up. It's just a, it, it's, it's like a non, you learn by failing. yeah, you just learn by, I've had friends have to have to declare bankruptcy because they're in so much debt. Yeah, I just had one friend who had almost $20,000 in credit card debt before he's 25. Oh my God. Ugh, that's so awful. Yeah. And, and it's not. That, and that'll hurt you long term. Oh yeah, your rest of your life. Like if you have bad credit, it, it, you know, it roadblocks you from like anything that you want to do in your life. Like if you want to eventually buy a house or if you want to buy a car or if you want to do any of the things that like adults do, typically a credit check is involved. And if you have really bad credit score, then it can impact those things. So yeah, just it's important not only to keep that in mind, but also just to just realize that like there is no set system in place that is going to mandatorily teach you that. Like that's not something for some reason our education system finds important. So you have to learn that either for yourself or there are places you can go. A lot of local like um, credit unions and stuff typically can have courses on how credit works and you can go and learn about that stuff uh, for free a lot of the time that stuff is always super valuable and um, I definitely found value in that too because I went to a local um, credit union to do that and as I was looking for my when I was beginning the the task of finding a home to live in and um, that's just super valuable I think and and there's that resource I think is available like most places in the country and I would assume in other countries as well but obviously I can't speak firsthand to that and the sooner you start doing this kind of stuff the better off you will be in the long run yeah and the younger you if you start the younger you start doing it it's definitely gonna super help you yeah 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 i feel like i'm uh before you make the mistakes i'm i'm not i definitely am not like a person who's bankrupted himself but i do feel like i'm a cautionary tale in reckless spending um because I could be in a much better place now financially and I could have not fallen into some of the pitfalls I did if I had just been more disciplined, more self-disciplined. So I think it's one of those things when you're young and it's like for so many of those early years, you're, you know, it's like your first few jobs, you're making barely above minimum wage. Mm -hmm. It's like everything that you're purchasing that's like a, fun purchase is like you know weeks and weeks paychecks and paychecks of saving up and then it's like suddenly when you get your first credit card yeah and that like paywall goes oh, yeah. away and you're like wait a minute yeah i can just wait i can just buy this outright yeah <laughs> yeah and suddenly i can uh, go home with this tv today yeah it's a, um you know, really it's not that simple right um but yeah the Unfortunately, I remember when I was at college and I didn't realize that a debit card, that my card was like a debit card and I could just use yeah. it anywhere. I thought I had to go to an ATM yeah. to check money out. Yeah. And somebody told me, you know, you can just use that card. It was like instantly oh. my bank account was like gone. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, it's horrible. And like you said, you know, focusing on one thing at a time 
is really helpful. I feel like people who jump all over the place often find themselves in the the worst situation where they can't decide on like one thing. And I feel like that's maybe a symptom of like a type of person. And I don't want to assume it's like easy for everyone to not sort of compulsively. It's also a symptom of our society. Yeah. The low attention span, the flash in the pan. Yeah. Instant gratification of like something new and exciting. Yeah. And I get it. I mean, I feel like, you know, Primaris Marine Mania, the way everyone else does. Um, but you, you don't have to buy everything right when it comes out. Like, that's not, that's not, especially if it's not applicable to whatever that, that goal is that you set for yourself. Yeah. Like having, you know, and the goal, and the goal is the thing that, you know, keeps your spending disciplined and structured in the first place. So it's like, everything feeds into everything else where as long as you have you're going into the whole thing with this ethos of like structuring the way that you maintain your money and you um you know the amount of expendable income you have and when you go into this hobby if that's what you want to do and you want to use your expendable income on this hobby i think you have to just come to terms with the reality that like you will be acquiring your army or whatever at a rate that is unique to you and it's not based on like the speed at which other people are acquiring their armies and it's not the rate at which Games Workshop is releasing models. It's really dependent on what you are making in, like with your income and the math that you've done to figure out how much of that can be reasonably spent on this hobby. Just like it would with anything else. Like if you're into video games, it's like how many video games can you actually buy with your income? Or are you super recklessly putting yourself in the red so that you can play a month of God of War. Or I mean, I love to open up my Steam library and look at all the games that I'll never play. Yeah, that's that's like that's <laughs> all two hundred and fifty. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, that Black Friday sale. Though. Yeah, Whew. that's that's like a crazy pitfall though, yeah. because Steam sales make games seem like they're almost free, but then yeah. when you buy a hundred of them, and, and then they are not free, and then you're also never playing them because you just were like, oh well, one day I'll play this, so I'll buy it for. And then the cost on your soul. Yeah, is so profoundly deep and, and <laughs> scarring. Um, so yeah, like what what would we say? Like what if we're talking about a new player coming into the hobby doesn't own an army. Yep. What should they be doing to start out? Probably starting a kill team. Kill team is definitely the safest way to start. I know that it's considered sort of the gateway drug game where when you start Kill Team you inevitably sort of fall into a 40k army but it really is the smartest way to start. I wish that had been available when when we started. <laughs> when we got back in because I feel like it really gives you an opportunity to get to know the kind of the, the fluff and the lore and the personality of an army without you know going Go triple digits yeah. into 
and then maybe you know like this isn't always the case but maybe it's like you know you're like oh well, maybe this isn't really my this doesn't fit the personality that I want yeah. for my you know and then but then you're only maybe like you know 40 or 50 dollars in instead right. of adding another zero to that um yeah never buy a full army that you've never played yeah that's a terrible unless idea. you're like a millionaire and <laughs> that's you, terrible and it doesn't matter and money just doesn't matter to you like as it tempting, is a terrible idea yeah, as tempting as that like halfway painted full army on ebay yeah um maybe yeah i for one will never um deny someone if they want to like use proxies or if they want to you know even just test an army with like pieces of paper that have words on them like if people just want to play the game and they don't have the models yet i uh, people can do whatever they want like i will never be someone that stops them because like my immersion is broken because they're trying to figure out if this is a game they want to invest money in um so hopefully you will find people like that yourself and you should be like that yourself because I think the goal of, of us as people who are already in the hobby is to be as inclusive and helpful as we can be for future gamers and hobbyists. And we want to be sort of the mentors and guides that we wish we had when we started playing. Um, we've all also made lots of mistakes yeah exactly <laughs> and this isn't this isn't a podcast about like chastising anyone for mistakes that they may have made or that they might make in the future it's about saying having been there we can tell you what you should avoid in a best case scenario one of my first attempts at trying to be more responsible was a huge failure where i my my first thing was that um whatever bonuses I got at work, I would, that would be the money I spend on my fun stuff, mm -hmm. which was great when I had a job where the bonuses were very little. <laughs> then I got a job where the bonuses were very big, yeah. and that's when I ended up, oh, I'm going to go to the GW store and buy an army today, yeah. and a bonus. Yeah, that's dangerous. GW manager was very happy when I'm those sure. happened. Yeah. Yep, I'm sure they were. He was pumped you got that job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I had to, I had to, Rethink that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's another thing is is uh, self-control when you're in the store because GW employees are salespeople. They're trying to pitch you the idea that your life will be better if you leave the store having spent more money. You know what I do, though? What do you do? Put the tinfoil hat on before I go in there. Oh, that's a good <laughs> idea. Alex Jones style. And yeah. Boom. Yeah. And I'm you, safe. Yeah, well, when they're turning the freaking frogs gay, you know, <laughs> you know you're safe with the yeah. tinfoil hat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, GW's not getting me. No, and no, I hope you're listening, GW. <laughs> and Alex yeah, and, and Infowars. <laughs> oh, oh God! I hope we don't start a political war here. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, yeah, it it's. It's one of those things where oftentimes when you fall into an amount of money that you've never had before and you, you're already in the hobby, but you've been sort of like eking your way towards getting that list that you want to make or whatever, 
and then suddenly you feel like, oh, I can do it. I can just buy it all at once. I've done it too. I mean, it's not, it's not good <laughs> to do, but I've done it. And I don't, luckily, I think I'm such an enthusiast of this hobby as a whole. Jordan always calls me like a sycophantic fanboy, like to an extreme. And I don't necessarily disagree with that wholeheartedly because I feel like something about 40k does have me like hook, line, and sinker, and it's it's like an illness almost. But that being said, I think that there are so many people that do that and they do regret the decision, and it does really make things difficult for them and. The number of people... I was just talking to John about this earlier tonight. The number of people who have sold armies that they bought makes me cry inside. Like, it's so, so heartbreaking to see people, for any reason, feel like they need to, like, financially pull back a disaster by selling an army. Because it's not just the money. It's, like, all the time and energy... And commitment you put into that thing. You're never going to get back your value. You can't. Yeah, you're getting like pennies on the dollar. Yeah, and, and that's more than just in physical money. That's yeah, like, that's your time. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, that was like me with that, that Salamander's army that I had kind of like right after 8th edition first dropped. I kind of did that, you know, the chasing of the dragon in a sense where we were we hadn't, you know, come up with this plan to do the narrative channel or whatever and we were just basically kind of falling into the pitfall of what I feel like a lot of local groups do of, you know, catering your list to the the meta of the small group that you're playing with. Yeah. And, you know, I had this idea for the Salamander's Army and I was so focused on spreadsheeting out this idea of what I wanted to do thematically and everything else that I just, I, I decided, you know, on the list, went out and like bought the whole thing all at once, dropped a giant chunk of cash on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we like played those few test games with it, realized that it did not <laughs> work out the way that we thought it might yeah. or theorized. It wasn't quite the uh, meta consistent list that we hoped yeah. it was, meta compliant. And then it just became this really slippery slope of um, purchasing more models to fix you know, problems of, or perceived problems. And then like, I think eventually ended up giving up on that and being like, oh, well maybe, you know, maybe this is a, you know, more of a rule set problem in terms of like the limited options that there are for, you know, non-chapter specific or um, space Marines with like their own codex. Yeah. So we tried running them as like dark angels. Yeah. And it just, Long story short, it did not end up working out, and I personally got to the point where I was like, "All right, I just want to sell all of these models." Yeah, and because it had the whole experience had left this such a bad taste in my mouth about it that I just wanted to recuperate some money yeah. off of what I had, and then um, take that money and put it back into any army that wasn't that, um, yeah. which is not a healthy. And it, it was it, it's not a healthy way to 
feel about the hobby and it's certainly not a way to keep yourself motivated if you keep wanting to play it and it was definitely a point in the hobby for me where I was like kind of like questioning whether I wanted to continue to keep playing because it's like you know again it wasn't just the money it was like all the time that I had spent like assembling the models putting it together all the like the kind of the hype that you build up in your mind of like how cool this thing's going to be yeah and then if it doesn't measure up to your expectations yeah um yeah it's you're just kind of setting yourself up for disappointment yeah yeah absolutely and i feel like the way that you approached your next army the death guard was such a different experience and and i'm not sure i feel like it's a mixture of things because like i feel like with the space marines you weren't you couldn't win a game like it was it was like <laughs> my luck was impossibly bad yeah it was like a combination of like consistently terrible luck and like that army just wasn't gelling with like the way that you wanted to play it and it wasn't gelling with like the narrative you created for it and switching to dark angels i think felt like it was you know, it was like a band-aid. It was like you're oh, just yeah. trying to you're trying to force this thing to work. Um when it's just not going to. And I feel like the Death Guard was like that was you finding an army that actually worked for you and the way that you play. And you've even made decisions about like the way you've built that list that have like nothing to do with what any of us have suggested and it's just been your choices and they've worked out and I think that's all like really important to you sort of finding your identity within the hobby and and finding validation and then on top of that I feel like the speed at which you collected them was like more manageable and yeah, you didn't did you start slower yes yeah yeah it wasn't I didn't I didn't purchase it all at once. It was like kind of like piecemealed over time. And it was like a lot of like playing either kill team games yeah. or like smaller, you know, sub 1000 point battles. And really just like kind of, even though it wasn't the full list that I kind of knew that I had a, a picture of in my head, but it was like smaller versions of that slowly, you know, kind of like working up to this um, bigger picture that eventually became the nothing. Yeah, um, which is the the two thousand point list that I'm playing on the the narrative yeah. campaign right now. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely was like me, and I don't necessarily know the best way to tell somebody how to do this, but it was definitely like finding the army that fit my my play style and the way that I wanted to enjoy the game, yeah. rather than me kind of like chasing this, you know. Um, this, you know, super like power build or like meta yeah. idea um, that I thought looked and sounded cool. Yeah. You know, it didn't. In reality, the way that I actually play the game on the table did not fit the way that, you know, that specific um, sequence of events and turns would need to occur to make that Salamanders list work. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely good to try to find the play style you like before going all in. Yeah. So starting small is definitely the way to go. Yeah. To figure out what it is you really want to get out of the hobby with your army. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think why Kill Team is such a great starting point 
if you already know you're going to get into the hobby, you're going to try it in some way. There's no better way because you can literally buy a single box and like a single squad and you can start playing kill team, which is so awesome because that is not what 40k is. But from that point, even if kill team has a different rule system than 40k, and that means that like there isn't really like a one for one transference of how an army will perform from kill team to 40k. It does, I think, still give you a really accurate representation of the character of an army. Um, and it can give you the feel of, like, where do you want to go next? And do, does it feel cool that I'm playing these, like, big, gross, lumbering boys who, yeah. like, can't... You know, they're hyper-resilient and they're just, like, slow but unstoppable and... Um, and all the stuff that makes up Death Guard. Like, I feel like that's all there in Kill Team. Um, similarly, like, I love playing Harlequins in Kill Team, and it's like, they're so fast. They're, they're, it's like the terrain isn't even there. They just yeah. move through everything. And they're so ferocious when they make combat, and they're, you know, they're, they're lithe and terrifying, and all this stuff that makes, it's all stuff I love about the Harlequins. And it's all there in Kill Team. It's like, even though they have one data sheet, like, they're just such a unique, you know, unit that that the players really do sort of, like, sum it up. So I think that Kill Team is such a great place to be like, how did it, pl- how did it feel to play that game? And does do the rules and the aesthetic of that army translate into me being happy when I'm playing it, regardless of, like, the outcome of the game, you know, like, not did I win or lose, but, like, did I have fun with that? That's what you should be thinking about. Um, I guess some people probably only have fun when they're winning, but that's not, to me, that's not what the game's about, and, and I don't think it is for a lot of people either. But, you know, from there, you can buy, like, a couple more kits if you, once you're in that pocket of being, like, I'm really content with this army. You can buy it. And also, like, you know, there's always the the idea of... People always talk about you should finish what you buy before you buy something else. Like, assemble it, paint it, and then buy something else. And that's like a... That's like hardcore. That's like yeah. hardcore. Like, <laughs> it's hardcore, hardcore, but Kill Team really does provide a format that is good for that. Yeah, at least for that first unit. I yeah. mean, like... And, and those first few purchases, it does help with that a lot. Um, like, I, my Harlequins are not painted, but my Kill Team Harlequins, I was like, I can do six guys, like, sure. So I, there, I have a, kill, a painted Kill Team of Harlequins, and, you know, I did that with a few armies. I did, like, a painted Kill Team. It's so much easier to do that than to, like, try to paint a whole army and it can be so daunting to to try to do that. But if you go from Kill Team and then you start with like a skirmish size, you know, 40k list of like a patrol detachment or something. And you just have like a couple troops and an HQ or whatever. And then you buy, let's say you, you get all those done and then you're like, well, I want to get some a big cool model that I really like or whatever so you get like a one big like a tank or something like that 
And then you have like a core of stuff there where there's enough diversity where like if you've only been playing Kill Team, that's going to feel like a nice expansion of what you've been doing. And then you sort of just follow down that path, but just you have to like take your time with it and not just jump in. But Kill Team really is like, it's such a great tool to have available now because it wasn't always around. Like you said, it wasn't there there at the beginning of 8th edition. And I think it definitely, like, we all benefit from the ability to have that as, like, an ancillary system to the full 40k experience. I also feel like a lot of times, save for the awful shaken rule, I hate that rule. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out into the universe that I absolutely despise that rule. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Save for that portion of Kill Team, I feel like a lot of games that either I've played in or observed, and like and then also reading like the books and the fluff, it feels like a lot of times, sometimes those Kill Team games can feel way more um, close to the, the narrative that GW kind of creates with these units and the way that they I think a lot of times we want them to play out yeah. on a, in a 40k like a full 40k game but because inevitably it is a game that is based around volume of dice yeah. you know we you know read these stories about these you know superhuman soldiers and godlike creatures that are basically just impervious to death yeah. but then when you play the full tabletop game and suddenly half your army is wiped out in a single turn. Yeah, they're not impervious. It doesn't always feel like that, but yeah. I feel like when you're playing Kill Team a lot of the times, it doesn't It doesn't necessarily play out that way, and it does sometimes, at least for me, in my experiences, it feels like a lot more fluffy. Yeah. And that's not necessarily to say that just Kill Team is better than full 40k, but in right. particularly in the sense of like getting to know an army and like yeah. for new players that like maybe like you know reading some of this stuff and like oh that's really cool that sounds really cool and then to have it kind of immediately translate on the tabletop as well yeah um i think that's a really awesome aspect of the game and also like if you're creating a kill team and that becomes kind of like the starter kit for your full army in terms of like if you want to be a really narrative player and you want like you know you want to name all of your troops and all of your you know hq choices yeah it's like it's you're you're starting from this one core group and you've built like a little story from them and then you can use that to kind of create the story for the rest of your army. Yeah, absolutely. Um, rather than purchasing two thousand points right out of the box and trying to come up with an idea for it, it can be so overwhelming. Yeah, if you don't like already have that ready to go, like buying two thousand points is just like such a like it can make you just lock up. Like yeah. you don't know where to go with it. So. And now you've got, you know, elites and commander and other things which kind of expand that kill team even more to, to the point of where you are starting to kind of like get on the fringe of like a small, small 40k game. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like they've done a really good job in terms of increasing the scale in like a reasonable way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right, kill team, there are even, you know, they, they baked into the rule system like random name generators so like if you want to experience the i i almost feel like killed a part of like 
the rule set of Kill Team feels like it's designed to experience the narrative elements. Whereas, like, 40k, you literally don't have to. Like, you can just power build, and you can just fight competitively. And if that's what you want to do, the game exists in that capacity for you to do it. It's so cool, actually, that 8th Edition has, like, all these different methods. Like, the fact that 8th Edition has, like, open play and narrative play and match play as, as like, options to players, in, and those are structured, organized things, I think is such uh, an awesome, unique aspect of this edition. Um, and it's just one of the many things, I think, that make this easily the best edition um, of 40k so far. But, like you're saying, you know, if you read the books, like, let's say, you know, I'm, I'm like, halfway through the Horus Heresy right now. The number of times where I've seen Space Marines do things that are just unbelievable, like, a single Space Marine is just an absolute hero of the galaxy kind of situation, um, you know, their reflexes are unbelievable, their strength is off the charts, they're... They can survive unbelievable amounts of damage. There's just all this stuff that makes them seem like a, a you know, a single bolter round is like a high explosive yeah. thing <laughs> that like blows up a, a normal human when it hits them. And then you play the game and you're like, oh, there's no AP on a bolter and the space marine has one wound and one attack. And, you know, it, it's just all this stuff that, and, you know, he hits on threes, which means like, He's hitting two out of three times, but in the books, he doesn't miss. Like, what's, yeah. what's going on? And then when you see that translated, like you said, I think Kill Team makes them feel better than... Because when you're when you're playing 40K, it's like you could be playing against someone who's like, great, I brought like 12 Dark Reaper squads, and I'm literally just going to everything I brought is designed to kill space marines and I'm just going to do it. And, and the thing is, that's not, I don't think that that's not fluff compliant. Right. It's just that like the stories don't focus on space marines fighting an army of 300 dark reapers. Like (laughs) if they did, they would die, but they don't, they're they're usually like clearing out, you know, groups of militia and stuff like that. And it's like one space marine can just work all those guys to the dust. But, when when space marines come into contact with like advanced xenos tech or whatever they die like they definitely can die and and they're not immune to it and i think the stories just so often focus on like the majority of the time space marines are fighting vastly unprepared opponents and occasionally they're fighting guys that can fight at their level or better and i think that like in Kill Team, you're never subjected to a situation where, like, 12 fire prisms are shooting at a squad of space marines. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Instead, you're fighting, like, a very low, um, sort of maximum damage output situation where space marines are fighting things that are invariably, like, they're equal or less. And that makes space marines feel really powerful, it's in Kill Team especially, they finally have that, like, resilience and the damage output that you kind of expect them to have. Yeah, 
unless you're Ian and your death watch finds two Harlequins in the corridor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they but, get murdered. But then you're seeing how dangerous Harlequins are. Uh, which in the narrative, you know, they're horrific. So I I think um I, and I apologize again, Ian. That was like such a sad first moment of your first hey, game. Hey, you guy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> My Harlequin just killed one of your guys, and he jumped into another guy and fought again and killed him too. That was horrific. Um, he and says I, with a smile on his face. I, well, <laughs> so would the Harlequins. Um, the Harlequins I, that die all die first. Exactly. I I laid off hard and I let him have a game and I and you got killed by chaos got killed by chaos and nids because of what I did and that's okay because I I did have a crazy powerful first turn and all that stuff but also harlequins are just really good in kill team especially in the version we were doing arena yeah where it's all tight corridors and you were able to charge out of visual range. Oh yeah, I was so he couldn't overwatch. ignoring Overwatch left and right, which is like so damaging in a, in a game like that. Especially when like I was charging things like Deathwatch frag cannons that would have absolutely destroyed me if I did it first. Yeah, just instantly dead. Oh, well, Hammer got dead. First. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean like I just I two best guys did. I I really did a number on him. Um but, you know, in, in the narrative, Space Marines, are, at least in the Horus Heresy so far, basically haven't fought Harlequins. And if they did, I think they'd be like, oh, God, we're outmatched. Like, the, you know, Harlequins are not to be messed with. Like, they're so, so, so scary. And um, my, my point is just that Space Marines are, like, sort of one of the toughest things you can come across in Kill Team. And I think that that's, fu- that's what makes them feel uh, narrative and lore uh, friendly and appropriate, is because when you hear about how awesome they are, um, and then you play a game of 40k, and they get walked on by something that is like 400 points, because that's the equivalent power level yeah. of it. Um, and then they they die because they would, and then you're like, well, that I don't understand because space marines are supposed to be the best, and it's like, well, within reason they're yeah. the best. Like you know, you, you have to think about context. And kill team I think provides that perfect context where everything gets a chance to shine, and it feels the same way with like horde armies. I think where like. You're not going to do an, a lot of damage necessarily, but you do feel like a horde when you're fighting like five space marines with sixteen yeah. hormigons yeah. or you know like sixteen imperial guardsmen or something, and you're just pouring bodies into this this hole to try to deal with it. And it's like that's how it, those things fight. Like imperial guard officers are literally just like throw your body in front of those space yeah. marines so that we can slow them down or whatever and. I love my eleven hormigons. Yeah. Don't yeah. care if they die. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and and behind them are scary tyranid warriors yeah, and gene know. stealers and stuff. So I think that that's it's all great. I think all that stuff really plays into the to the armies. And I think all that is to say and this was a huge digression, but all that, that is to say is that like 
kill team is just such a great way to like figure out what army you like um like firsthand figuring out what army you like without buying an army you you just get sort of a it's like playing a demo of a video game or something like you get that little taste to be like i know that that's the thing that i enjoy about the game and then 40k allows you to expand on that if you want to um but it is hard for me someone like me who recovering at i'm not recovering <laughs> i'm just a full-blown yeah, plastic crack addict <laughs> um for someone like me who i feel like i just love every army like i find reasons to love every army and i deeply you know, enjoy collecting them all for different reasons. I feel like there's nothing about any of it that I don't enjoy. Um, that was a pitfall that I fell into was like, how do I focus all this excitement and enthusiasm? And I don't think it was like something I learned until much later. And I now have eight armies. Um, but the thing is, I've had eight armies for a long time, and I haven't had a ninth army in, like, I don't know, a very long time. Like, here and there I buy new models and stuff like that, but I haven't bought a new army in at least a year, if not long. I think the Harlequins were my last army, and that was, like, obviously I've had them for a very long time. Was it them and not the Krieg? Yeah, and Harlequins came after Krieg, yeah. Um, and Krieg weren't cheap. You know, like, I, I I, have spent so much money on this hobby. And I think maybe I'm in a different position than some people just because I am trying to create, like, a, a channel where I'm providing content and I want there to be, like, you know, a reason for people to keep watching, i.e. many different armies that you can see and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still so much money and if you don't go into it knowing that you can deal with that then it's a reckless decision and it can get you in a lot of trouble um, and so instead of buying more armies yourself you convince your friends to play the game that's all it is and they buy the armies yeah. and you don't feel pressured to buy them yourself right then you can Leave them at your house. Yeah. If, for example, your house is where everyone plays Warhammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's how my, all my terrain keeps ending up here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm just slowly amassing all of them to the collection. <laughs> um, but one, one other thing uh, for younger people yeah. to think of is to just understand where they are in their life. Mm -hmm. So, like... Uh, like probably between the age of 20 and 30 is probably everyone's most unstable yes. time. I think I lived in like five or six different places. Yep, and same. multiple different jobs yep. through that. And so I think a lot of like these threads that pop up in our local groups of selling armies because of moving, mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons. Yeah. So like if, when you're in that stage, you shouldn't be amassing a large amount because you're going to be have to schlep that around right. to wherever you go. And you can't just always leave it in your 
parent's house. Yeah. And if you do, sometimes that stuff gets thrown out. Yeah, it can happen. Um, I've lost uh, several bottles from leaving them at different places throughout my life. But you're absolutely right. I mean, um, none of what I have now would have been possible 10 years ago. Like, I am at a point now with my job and stability that even five years ago, it wouldn't have been a reality. Like, I was just getting back into the hobby like four years ago, I think. And at that point, it, I, it was slow. Like, I got back into it slowly because, like, I didn't have the money. And I'm in, a, I'm in a more secure situation now where I made financial decisions that, at the end of the day, I was able to, you know, like, grit my teeth and get through the financial burden I put myself in buying those things. Um, but you could so easily not do that. And if someone's listening to this who's, like, 16, like, that, it, that, that's not reasonable. No. Like, you know, like, unless you already somehow have the income of a 30-year-old at that age and, and you are stable somehow, and, and that's just such a rarity. So I, if you are that age, yeah, like John said, like, just keep keep your own perspective in context and remember that like it took us talking here a very long time to get to a position where like we can comfortably do this hobby at the levels that we're doing it at. So when I was 16, I mean, I had like four kids, you know, like I, I, I was at the, the mercy of my parents basically of like, or, you know, Christmas and birthdays and stuff like that. And that's okay. Like, if, if that's the age you're at and the financial situation you're at, like, just accept the, the terms of your life in, in that moment. And it's all about being contextually responsible. Like, you just have to know that if you want to work towards the goal of having a bigger collection and being more immersed in this hobby, that it takes money and it doesn't it's not just going to come out of nowhere and it takes responsibility you can't be homeless and also like <laughs> you're massively invested in 40k you sure though I mean maybe you can but I would be very worried about yeah, my models don't, don't try to keep up with the internet hobby Joneses exactly I think it's hard in the age we're living now where probably most of the interaction hobby wise we have is online yeah. And we don't really know the people we're interacting with other than seeing what they're doing in the hobby. Yeah. Find us on Discord. <laughs> you might not understand that some of us are much older. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we don't all like share our ages all the time. Yeah. Like, we're geezers compared to some of you people. Um, <laughs> and that's that's okay. I mean, like, people of all ages. Warhammer has now been around for, what, 40 something years? Yeah. We've also been 80. Yeah, in and out of the hobby multiple times. Yeah, yeah I mean, like we took huge hiatuses. Do anything in the hobby. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's all like of you're that. Not, if you're not doing everything, you're like if you're not. I don't want to say this. Like if if you can't do it all, it's okay. You're like you're not going to miss anything if you right. come back a 
few years down the line when you're in a better situation. Yeah, there will only be really more stuff miss. for you to choose from. Like I, I skipped many, many years. Yeah. And I don't feel like I missed anything. Well, the last time I played Warhammer consistently before I got back into it in 7th edition was 3rd edition. And I didn't play anything between 3rd edition and 7th. And it's like, I don't care. Like, you know, I don't feel like deep regret about not yeah. being there for 4th and 5th and 6th. Like, I did 3rd, 5th, and now 8th. Yeah. And it's like, it's fine. Everything's yeah, fine. The same path that I took too. Yeah. Or well, I came in at the tail end of 7th and 8th, mm -hmm. but yeah. Yeah, it's like, and that story you'll hear over and over again. Like, people our age... They got into it as kids, they found out what a girl is, and then their life changed, and they stopped playing, and then they... Or boy. Or boy. I mean, yeah, <laughs> whatever. They found out what love is. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to know what love is, yeah. and then and then they were they shown. They don't hurt me. Yeah. And then, after that, um, they realized that they can add the experience of the hobby on to whatever else is going on in their life. And as adults, I feel like we juggle many things and we wear many hats. Um, me especially, and probably too many, honestly. Um, my time is so uh, stretched out. But that's, that's another conversation as well. And I feel like as far as the way this hobby goes, we find a, we get to a certain point in our lives, we realize that we probably have the time to do this to some extent, in addition to the lives we already have. And I know that, you know, it's manageable because there are plenty of people in this hobby who are parents and that's already a thing that like, I don't have to deal with. And it's crazy to me that so many people are parents and husbands and wives and stuff. And are also doing this like as much as they do. Um, and that's not like a judgment or a value statement. I'm just saying like, that's crazy to me that people can manage that at the same time. And um, more power to you if you can. But it's, it's a lot. It's a, it's like, Warhammer is not the most casual hobby in the world. It's like, pr it's a pretty big investment for just something that you're Money choosing to do for time. fun. Yes. Yeah, time investment. That's another thing when you when you are making purchases, you should also do some quick math in your head yeah. on the number of hours it's going to take you to build it and paint it. Yeah. Yeah. The old economy of time yeah. consideration. That's it's a huge deal. I mean, like I can even think back to literally the first models I ever got. Um, my aunt bought them for me. I was in like a comic book store, and I'd never seen them before. I was super young. And she bought me the two kits that I was like looking at, which was like an old pewter Terminator kit and uh, a Chaos Terminator kit and an old pewter Hive Tyrant. And I was like, I bought them and I was like, oh, this is, these are pieces. You know, like I didn't yeah. even know what I was getting into. Yeah. Then I opened it and I was like, these are metal, these are a bunch of little metal pieces. Yeah. They don't look anything like this box. It doesn't look like what it was in the store. Yeah. And then I had to real, I had to be like, oh, I need to buy super glue and then I, I started gluing them together and then I was like oh I need to I need to paint these how do I do that and then I had to find like paints that made sense with this stuff and 
you and know, you still created an abomination. And I still am, I made a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> not in the way that you want <laughs> Yeah, not in the bad way. I mean, a hive tyrant is a nightmare, yeah. but, you know, the nightmare I didn't want. Um, and, and in that regard, you know, like, then I was like, none of this is staying together. These metal pieces don't, don't want to cooperate literally and figuratively the yeah. bottle and the dream and the dream is falling apart <laughs> in my hands and you know the the common solution to like when pewter's not staying together is to like drill your bits and you put like a metal rod so that the pieces don't fall apart and i was like that was so outside my little idiot child brain to like know how to do that and everything it was so intimidating and it's actually kind of a miracle, I think, that I stuck with it after the debacle of those intro. two. Yeah, yeah, that horrible intro. But then Jordan, I, I don't even remember like how he started. I assume I introduced it to him, but I, it's Jordan got into the hobby at like almost the same time, and then we started playing, and it was like the fact that I had a person there with me was like everything. Like it just completely you know, kept me in, kept me in the hobby. Um, so it, it's, it's just one of those things where it, it's like, an, it, like you said, it's an economy of time. Like I was a little kid, I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing, but even as an adult, there's nothing fast about it. It's like you buy a kit and if you're meticulous, you'll drill your barrels and you'll remove mold lines and stuff. And you'll sub-assemble and paint in pieces, and then you'll put it all together at the end. And all of that is, like, an insane amount of work. And if and then it depends on, like, what, what are your standards for painting? And then, depending on what that is, how many paints do you need? Because, like, some people can get away with, like, you know, very few if they don't care. And some people want to, it to look exactly like the box or whatever. And just, like, not, you know, out of the gate, never having done any art and wanting that, that's, like, such an insane challenge. And um, the time suck is just unbelievable. So you have to, like, be ready for that. And if you're not, there's always kill team, you know? You can always be done after that one <laughs> squad. And moral of the story here is kill team. Kill team is great <laughs> if you've never done the hobby. And then from that point on, I, I think that kill team sets up perfectly. It gives you a sampling of like every aspect of the hobby. So then at that point you can be like, how much do I want to be in this? Is this enough or do I want to expand on this? And what kind of stories do I want to tell for myself? Or what kind of games do I want to play? How much of a commitment do I want? How big a table do I want to play on? Do I want to make terrain? You know, there's like all these branching questions that all, you can answer all of them if you spend enough time playing Kill Team. So yeah, I think it's definitely the best place to start. Financially, um, sort of mentally, emotionally, it's it's uh it's a win 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 Windows ten. Um so yeah, so following up on that conversation, you've got a new player, they purchase their first kill team, they're thinking of like dabbling in forty K. Mm -hmm. What 
what's the next move? Or do you pick like a 500 point goal, find some friends that want Well, I would think actually, yeah, finding a core group of people. To yeah, play with. yeah. Make sure you've got people. Yeah. Have friends. Have friends. Yeah. That's just a life thing, too. It Have is a life friends. thing. And, and I think that that is actually a super frustrating part of the hobby for like it might be the hardest thing for most people is the isolation you can feel if like you find the hobby in a in like a bubble and then there's no one around you that plays and then you're finding people online that you can like talk to and I'm glad the discord exists so that like those people can talk if they want to us about the stuff even if they're not playing our friends in uh, Great Britain won't understand this at all. <laughs> no, they absolutely won't. We're a much bigger country, and we're much less interested in Warhammer. I was living in New Hampshire, and the closest game store was a two-and-a-half-hour drive away. Yeah. yeah. I, re- I remember when I was a kid, I, I felt such incredible privilege that I was able to go to a games workshop store when my family visited New York City, and I, like, made them bring me to games workshop, like, <laughs> on their trip. So, like... Yeah, it's it's a whole it's a whole thing. If you live in like a rural part of America, there's a very good chance that you will be the only person within hundreds of miles that plays this game. And that can be super isolating. It's really sad. And as far as that goes, like the solution, I don't know if there's like a solution to it, but at the very least you can be a spokesperson for the hobby. And if you have friends in general, you can see if they're if they're interested, and you can you can gauge their interest. And again, kill team is like the best place to start with that. So yeah, the next step definitely I think is like making sure you have people because if you don't have a group, if you just know that you'll never play with people, um, if you don't consider that before you jump in and you're just like, oh, I just yeah, want to just buy Yeah, exactly. If you know that that's never going to come about. Um, Unless the modeling aspect is the only thing that you care about. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, if you want to have a whole army and you know the only purpose you want it is to look at it and paint it and stuff like that, then more power to you. Or if you're, like, the kind of person who can, like, play a solo game against yourself... That's great. That's all great. But most people want to play with other people. And I, if you don't have, if you don't know that you have that before you get into it, I would say like, hold off on buying an entire army. Yeah. Um, but after that, get a core group of friends. Yeah. Once you have a core group of friends, once your finances are established, you've got a core group of friends you got your first kill team games in. You have found the army that you want to do. I would say the next thing to do would be buy a codex. Um, if you if you know that you want to get into it, and then that way, or at least find like the rule set, and that way you can decide the units that you like based on the way they look and what they can do on the table. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind as you do that is everything you read is, is apt to change. Like 
the rules change consistently in this game, and the codex will become outdated, and it will be replaced, and everything that you think is awesome and good right now could be horrible and bad later. Um, well, and that's another reason why, again, the, you know, the thing that doesn't really change, though, is the fluff. And the, exactly. The, you know, the... At least not yeah, in big ways, right. actually. Yeah, and the personality of the army. Yeah. So really, if you build your connection more around that than you do, like, having a, a, a dedication to a specific build type or a specific meta, yep. um, you're just going to be far better off. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so that I feel like basing your army on the narrative is like the safer play and the aesthetic because obviously like those two things will generally stay the same but it is also important I think to know the rules of what you're getting into and and stuff like that so I think a codex or just like getting access to the, to the rules of, of the army that you want next is the best thing and building an army off of that I think is like the most logical way to like build an army there's people who just buy the models they want and they don't even think about the rules and like that's fine too as long as you're playing with people who are like minded and I think it plays into the fact that like the step before this is making sure you have people because you should also make sure that those people want to play the same game that you want to play um make sure that you're all on the same page, basically. But uh, those are all, I feel like, you know, crucial beginning tips for yeah. getting into it. Setting a budget. Yeah. yeah. That's the big, I mean, that's... Yeah, did you, so you said that you, I don't know if you finished at this point, but you had mentioned, John, that initially something that you tried to do that didn't work was you were dedicating your bonus monies from work yeah. to Warhammer spending. You said that that didn't work. So what did you actually end up finding that did work? That's when I tried to, that's when I added in uh, tracking my non-essential hobby expenses into my normal financial tracking. And to figure out like how much could I spend a month mm -hmm. safely and not have it blow up my whole financial, financial situation. Yeah. And did you have, so once you had that budget in place, did you have a, like, a final goal of like, okay, I know this is the army that I want to build and I'm going to work my way towards that? Or did you take it month by month as you had, you're like, okay, I've got this much to spend. What is the cool thing that I want to buy for my army? Which, which. I did the did month to month. Yeah. I have X amount I can spend. And then whatever I wanted to buy, it would be that I didn't really plan. Um, now I've gotten more into the actual planning what I'm working on. Yeah. And I've cut down on a lot of my unbuilt projects that I thought I wanted to do that I'm never going to get to. Yeah. The, yeah. And the planning can come later. I mean, the planning can be a result of a lot of experimentation. like, And it can be the step that happens after that. And that's okay. As long as the money that you're putting into it up to that point is money that you know you have, it's okay. Whatever you want to do is okay with the hobby. Um, I think that that's, that's an important point, too, of, like, in terms of setting 
that is like, this may not be the same case for everybody, but I know it certainly helped for me, is like kind of having an end state of like, okay, this is roughly where I want to end up with this army. Having a goal, you know? Yeah, and then once I reach that, it's like, you're not necessarily closing the book on it, but you're like, you're telling yourself, okay, once I get to this point now, I'm going to, instead of focus my energy on like the finances of building this army now, I'm just going to play some games with it. Yeah. And, or finish painting it or, you know, um, and then, you know, you continue to budget that money and set it aside for, you know, whatever you want to do with it, whether it's a different hobby, this hobby continued. Um, but you, I know for me, it was difficult in that, you know, kind of the earlier phases of getting into the game of not really having an, an idea of what the end state of the army was. And then you're just constantly kind of chasing this never ending yeah. thing that you're just, you know, you continue to pour money into, you continue to add to that list of models that you're going to have to paint. Yeah. <laughs> and it becomes this kind of like this almost unattainable goal of um, completing. And it's nice in, you know, just in life. Um, to kind of have goals and being able to put a checkbox at the end of something and be like, okay, I completed this. Yeah. Because I feel like for any of us that have actually like finished an army, painted it, it's a pretty like immense feeling of accomplishment that oh, yeah. like, even for me, like I never, <laughs> like in all the years that I played this game, ever actually like fully built an army and painted every single model yeah. up until you know very basically the death guard yeah um like i hadn't done that um ever and it was so nice to you know do that and there are still things that i'm going to do and uh, sure. things i already have kind of like added to it but i don't have that pressure yeah to feel like i need to do that because in my mind it's like that's that's a project that i successfully completed yeah and like now it's like you know um one fully painted army is a hundred times more satisfying than having ten unfinished armies in your closet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And it was the same thing for me. My, my, you know, I eight armies, as I've said. My first finished army happened this year, and now I have three finished armies and a fourth one that's like maybe a third of the way done. But it's like. It's so different to look at a finished army than at an army that you bought but haven't painted or whatever. And I feel like it does change my perception of like, you know, where I'm at in the hobby, like where, you know, at the, the degree to which I'm even taking it seriously. And, and um, I think that power builders and stuff either they're spending money on like commission painting their armies or they're just not painting them and they're just like using unpainted models as like proxies or whatever. But I feel like for us as people who play games with the idea of telling a story and who get fully like invested in our armies as like a group of individuals that we care about and stuff, um, there's so much value in finishing it and 
that sense of accomplishment when I got through that first army really, like, there's just nothing in the hobby that I've done that felt that, you know, that magnificent. Um, and it happened again. Like, every army I finished, I was like, oh my god, I can check that box. And it's, like, so satisfying to just be like, the goal is achieved. So, I think that that's something that, while it may be unattainable to, like, finish everything you buy before you buy another thing, because that's sort of, like, the most hardcore version of responsibility in the hobby, and no one does it, um, more power to you if you do. But it's okay if you don't. But we're all saying, if you are able to finish what you've started, if you set out and you went, I want to have an army of this size and I want it to be fully assembled and painted and you do it it's like that is a whole other level of enjoying the hobby I think and giving yourself like the full experience of enjoying it which is so easy to not ever have if you just keep moving to the next thing and never finishing anything I try to plan in like thousand point bunches about. Yeah. Like I think my Eldar is like 750 mm-hmm. fully done. Now I'm working on Tyranids. I'm doing, going to do up to a thousand. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely a good way to go about it. Um, yeah, and again, it makes the realistic likelihood of like painting those. Are, are you painting in those increments as well, or is it just like purchasing? Uh, painting. Yeah. Yeah. And paint, oh, I guess painting and purchasing. Yeah, yeah. And and then once you do that with that thousand points or whatever, it's it's done. It's not like this thing that's looming over you. Like I feel like I have like four albatrosses like just sitting around my neck yeah. all the time because I'm just like, oh my god, I have to finish that that army, and you know, and one of them is harlequins. It's like <laughs> I really don't want to do that to myself, but also I want that army to be painted. So it makes me wish that we had all, uh, you know, again, this is kind of like, um, you know, hindsight 2020, um, pipe dream kind of stuff. But like, I feel like if I could go back and do it all over again in that, in that format and that formula, like, if you, you know, we're talking about this scenario, the, the perfect scenario of like a group of players or a person that's starting the game, they, let's, let's say theoretically they found a core group of people and then like, if you can arrange something with that group, assuming you're all gonna be playing the game together and you're playing, that you all agree on this healthy habit of like, okay, we're gonna like, we're gonna bump the, the point scale up to 750 and then everybody like, moves together through moves it. together and then you know you're only adding another unit or two yeah. and then you're all painting it like we talked about this a lot of times that we didn't ever why well, we I shouldn't say never but we rarely executed on it but times that we did like you know picking a night instead of like okay well this night instead of getting together to play a game we're all going to get together and just paint yeah and you know when you're talking about painting like just a couple units or like a model or two yeah. that puts you towards that next, you know, points increment, 
um, as opposed to like walking into your buddy's place and dropping an entire army on the table and being like, okay, we're going to try and paint a portion of this. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, again, it's like if you're setting your points values like or your game's uh, points values at the increment that every game that you're playing, you're still playing with a fully painted army. Yeah. Even if it's only 500 points or 750 points or whatever. Yeah. Just like how cool, like, you know, we were talking about this before we actually started recording the, like the things that drew you to the game initially, at least for me, like was seeing, you know, that keep kiosk in the mall. Oh yeah. Where they, it was like a tiny little, tiny little table. Um, of, you know, it was probably like three by two feet, maybe. Yeah, it's like super small. Um, but it was, you know, it was like a couple dreadnoughts and some space marines, and I think like um, Dark, Eld- Dark Eldar. Dark Eldar. That was the first edition with yeah. Dark Eldar, yeah. And um, it was just a small handful of units, yeah. but that was like enough to like fully hook me on the game. Oh yeah, and I feel like it's like if you're because always, it was all painted yeah. and the terrain was all complete and. I feel like you have more buy-in to the game, too, and you're always playing it at its, like, its best state. Yeah. Um, which doesn't have to be 2,000 points. Right. You can have fun games of 40K at smaller increments, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can tweak the rules. You don't have to play it exactly how it is. You can break up, like, get rid of minimum unit sizes. Yeah. yeah. So break your 10-man squads into two five-man. Yeah. So just you have more units on the table to move around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I you know, we were talking earlier about how physical format rules can be a limitation, um, of like, you know, the rule books and the codices and stuff. But one benefit of that that video games don't have is you can sandbox the literally the rules to whatever your heart's content is. Um video games are like set on their programming but when you are playing a game where the only adherence to the rules is how closely you read them or whatever then you can do whatever you want like it really is just you can literally bend the rules to your favor yeah you can be so yeah you would love that I would I would suddenly be good. I want a rule where I can literally re-roll the die as many times as I want until you get the result you want. Yeah, that's that's my chapter's uh, chapter tactic. Your chapter tactic. Yeah. Infinite re-roll. <laughs> <laughs> that seems pretty strong. Yeah. It's a, it's a little OP. <laughs> I think it's pretty fluffy, guys. Yeah, it's yeah. super fluffy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, anything like that, I think is is great to do as long as you and all your friends are in agreement about making exceptions and house rules and stuff like that the hobby is supposed to be fun it's not supposed to be a competitive like jerk off you know with with a bunch of friends who's like the least nice it's it's about having fun and don't bankrupt yourself and, and yeah, don't drive yourself into a money pit because you can't handle your spending habits or whatever. There's so many stages to this, but I feel like at the end of the day, easily the most important as far as just like maintaining strong, like emotional and mental health is 
be responsible with the way that you approach spending money on this hobby. And hopefully this episode has provided um, some insight into ways that you could do that or just raising awareness about that issue. And don't just... If you can, if you can do anything about it, don't just jump headlong into this hobby without considering what you're doing and what you're capable of doing. And if you do that, if you if you come into it with that sort of foresight, you'll already be leagues ahead of where I was when I started. <laughs> um, and I think where a lot of players are now, even. So, anyway, do you guys have anything else? To I say? have one just horror story. Oh, yeah, let's hear it. Unexpected expenses. Let's hear it. Horror stories. Just uh, the hammer home that it's good to be financially, like, keeping your mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So, my, my daughter was born premature. Oh, man. And we were all set for the birth and everything. Thought we were, everything was all. We're all good. We've got everything we need. Yeah. So you're born premature and spent 11 days in the uh, NICU. How much did that cost? That's uh, about $12,000 a day. Great. Oh, great. <laughs> I could just So, yeah, we have a six-figure medical bill. Oh, my God. It's pretty, like, brick time. Yeah, that's Luckily, really I had intense. really good insurance through my work that covered most of that. That's, yeah. That is absolutely... Terrifying. That's, that's nightmare fuel. Insane. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's not uncommon. Like, if you live in America, that's not an uncommon event. So people just know that your child could be born premature. Think about that. Before Think you about play Warhammer. your child being born eleven days early or twelve days early. Just think about it. Yeah. Have a little thing. Just that. make sure that that's in your head. Before you hit buy now on eBay, <laughs> yeah. going to the GW store on the, on the twelve armies you have in yeah. your basket. Buy now on someone selling their entire three thousand dollar army. Yeah, yeah. pro painted. Yeah, pro, <laughs> pro painted asterisk asterisk. Yeah, yeah. All full all caps. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So yeah, that was. Um. That is a horror. I mean. It's not a horror story you need a kid, but it, it, it's She's a horror story. perfectly healthy. Good. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, but financially speaking, that is absolutely a horror story, and I think many Americans, at least, can relate to it, if not people from other countries with more stable healthcare systems. Um, but anyway, this is all just some, some basic ideas and guidelines and just raising awareness on an issue that I think a lot of people don't even consider. The oppression of gamers. Yeah, well, then we have to rise up. Um, And if you're in school, focus on school. Yeah, focus (laughs) on school. Um, Think of every hour you put into school as, like, in the future, 10 hours you can put into hobbies. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you focus correctly on things. I mean... Stay in school, kids. Stay in school, and and if you're going to multitask, do it smart. Like, don't just bury yourself in a hobby when you're when you could be bettering the future and making the hobby more accessible in the future. So, um, all that being said, thank you guys so much for listening. 
Uh, thank you, John and Rick, so much for joining me here today, tonight. It's very late now. Absolutely. If you can hear the, the frog in my throat, it's because I, <laughs> I've gotten a, a cumulative four hours of sleep, and then I'm here now. And We're in the sleepy hour. We're in the sleepy times. Um, so, uh, thank you guys so much, and if you like what we're doing here obviously we, we have more podcasts coming out all the time but if you don't already know there is a discord that you guys can join um and there's also a youtube channel where we do bat reps i'm still amazed somehow people know about like one thing and they don't <laughs> it's pretty hilarious <laughs> yeah i've had people in the discord be like oh you make uh battle reports and it's like podcast? yeah you're podcast. i'm like what okay. I'm so confused. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm annoyingly like rep uh, advertising all the things I do all the time. You're not annoying enough, apparently. Apparently, I'm not. I'm not even doing it. Sell yourself. Yeah, I need to sell. I need to sell out more. But don't sell your art. Well, I would no. never. Yeah. <laughs> but um. Sell yourself so you can get. So I can get more art. Yeah. 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 That's, the, that's, that's the that's takeaway the takeaway today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yes, I have a YouTube channel, Grimdark Tales, where we make battle reports, narrative-based battle reports. Um, they come out pretty slow at the moment because I put a ton of work into them, but I think that the process has become streamlined and they'll be coming out faster, but still at the same quality. Um, so I'm excited for you guys to see more of those. If you enjoy narrative-based battle reports, uh, people seem to like them, so that's good. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're uh, on Twitter, um, and we're on Reddit. So if you want to follow us anywhere, uh, those are the places that you can do that. Um, so thank you guys again so much, and if you if you like what we're doing, um, feel free to search for us on all those things, or any of those things. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.